Welcome to the Lucky Titan Podcast. Here you will learn how to fill your favorite platform with tons of your dream customers from some of the world's top entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Josh Tapp. Now let's get started. What is up, everybody? Josh Tapp here again, and welcome back to the Lucky Titan Podcast. I'm super stoked to be here with Alex French, and we're here today to really talk about scaling an e-commerce business and how Alex took his company Get Busy from basically losing a bunch of money to a very, very successful company today. I mean, you can just look at the sign behind him if you're watching this on video, you know, a thousand customer reviews at 4.6 stars, that's that's pretty big, pretty big deal for most people. So I would hope that um, as you're listening to this, you'll think about, you know, those moments when you've been losing money, or if right now you're currently losing money, and especially when this is still going on during the pandemic, how you can listen to his story and his tactics and leverage those into really applying them into your company and, you know, getting yourself from not just surviving in business, but just thriving. So Alex, I'm stoked to have you here, man. Can you say what's up to everybody and then we'll hop in. Yeah. I hope everyone's having a great day. Um, I certainly am and excited to uh, get it kicked off here. Let's do it. He's got the coffee in his system now, man. That caffeine's buzzing him. That's right. <laughs> well, okay, Alex. So my very first question for you is really about that big first failure, right? Where, how you guys got to where you were losing money and then were able to, to come out of it. Yeah, so it was kind of a crazy story. We've it's probably important to note that we have raised venture capital has been our financing source. Um, you know, we make products, physical products. They're very expensive and require a lot of upfront fixed cost. So we were going out raising money had a, had a challenge. We started with a shelf stable coffee concentrate. It was in a sixteen ounce bottle. Um, basically, no one wanted to invest in a one product. You know, you hear it on Shark Tank. This is a product, not a company. That was us. Um, we were running out of money because we were burning cash and needed a cash injection. So we ended up coming up with this idea because I had learned over time, you know, early stage investors, they invest on emotion and opportunity. And we were still what's called the team in a dream phase. So we had developed this two ounce coffee shot. So think five hour energy made from coffee and five hour energy does a billion dollars in sales. And of course we all can objectively say the ingredients in it are probably not great for you. So coffee exploding category, cold brew exploding growth. We said, Hey, let's go raise a million dollars to launch a coffee shot. We were actually very successful raising that money because, again, everyone could say, wow, this could be a billion dollar business. And emotionally, everyone was like, oh, we all know five hour energy ingredients are bad. So this is a healthier version. Makes perfect sense. Um, I had been working in the food industry beforehand at General Mills as a marketer. So I had some level of credibility. So we raised this million dollars. We launched the coffee shot product and it basically instantly failed. No one had any interest in it because what we learned is that the consumer that's having a five-hour energy, for the most case, is a trucker that buys it at a convenience store. And they don't care what's in the product. They don't look for a healthier product. They just wanted a five-hour energy shot. Coffee is only two hours of energy, if you were to describe it that way. So basically, it instantly failed. And we were in a situation where we couldn't raise any more money because the investors that we had gone after wanted a two ounce shot. They didn't want really anything else. 
So our back was up against the wall. And what we did is we had initially launched that concentrate before we raised the million dollars on Amazon. And so we had learned the power of search and people searching for products on Amazon. And honestly, what we did is we just downloaded a report to say what's selling within the coffee space because we had our supply chain built out. And we found that people were buying bags of coffee to make their own cold brew at home. And the market was just start of starting. So this background says a thousand reviews. That was in March. We're now over 5,800 reviews in six months. And this product launched in, in 18. So um, it was just getting started. There were just some players that had 100, 200 reviews. And we already had the supply chain in place. And so we said, let's go put this product out into the market. We didn't change the name. It was still busy cold brew. Um, it just went from a shot to a bag of coffee and was instantly successful. And that business has basically carried all of our, all of the losses of our retail business on its back. And so we basically just pulled a report, looked at what the competitors were doing, what was their size, what was their price, how big was the market. And we didn't realize how large it was and no one was going after it. There was actually quite little competition despite coffee being a bloodbath of a category. And then we just said, hey, let's launch this thing. Let's launch it at a slightly lower price right out of the gates. Let's flood Amazon with ads. So if you search cold brew coffee or, you know, cold brew coffee bag or ground coffee for cold brew, you were going to see us. And we were a lower price than all the competitors. We then um, started to get the flywheel going on the reviews. And then once we had a good review base and good five stars is the goal, of course, um, then we just jacked our price up as high as we could. And then we essentially created a moat where we're the premium price. If you enter into the category of making cold brew coffee yourselves, you almost always buy from us. And so um, the real tactic was just going looking at the data. And the thing about Amazon is it's a search engine and people are there to buy products. So if you can have a simple search phrase or search word or niche, you can figure out how big that market opportunity is, how competitive is it, and then just bid on those key and if your product is visible on that first page, I think there's something like you're 90% more likely to get purchased, some sort of crazy statistic. And so that was that was kind of how we saved it. See, and I love that because really, I mean, your story is is the, the story of the bloody ocean, right? We hear about markets just being cutthroat and so busy. There's so many competitors. I mean, any sort of beverage space at all is pretty well being attacked, right? And people would say, okay, well, that's saturated. How could you build a successful company within that? But then there's companies like yours that come in and they become very successful by pulling from that bloody ocean and creating their own completely blue ocean. Like you said, like the cold brew space, like if it was barely untouched, why not? Yeah. I mean, go that direction. So awesome. Yeah. And it's, you know, as they say, and we've heard in all the podcasts, right? The riches are in the niches. And we just found this great thing where you know, everyone was focused on K-cups or, you know, medium roast ground coffee or single origin, but there was just this um, exploding diehard consumer of people that love to make cold brew and everyone was looking over here and we just said, we're going to just do this. I mean, we don't sell hot coffee. You can use it for hot coffee, sure, but like all we do is cold brew and we have a diehard community 
And now we're just expanding in that community for different product formats. Um, but really focusing on that niche very clearly has been huge for us. Well, I love that you brought up that, that topic of community because um, that seems to be the way that you've, you've grown is by, by actually leveraging the people instead of just the platforms, right? Because Amazon's been a great place for you to, to promote your products. But so for you guys, what have been kind of the key factors that have helped you build a community around a product? The reason I ask that, and just to preface the question is a lot of the people that follow us, right? They're building personal brands. So it's really easy to get people to love you, but how have you gotten people to really love the product and the brand enough to become a community around it? You know, that's I honestly been the toughest part for us because so many people drink coffee for so many different reasons. Um, we just recently launched a thing called Busy Nation. So basically you buy, we have this kind of rotating blend of coffee. You then like rate it, you scan it, you go to a site. If anyone's a craft beer drinker or a wine drinker, there's an app called Untapped where you basically like rate the beer and you look at other people's ratings and then we spit the data back out to you. So that's been a huge portion of it. And then there's also sub, there's a subreddit of cold brew. And so we'll go in there and we'll comment and provide advice and feedback to help be kind of the authority figure in the category. Um, but, you know, outside of that, because it's a do it yourself community that loves to, it's very similar to the craft beer drinker. They want to try an espresso blend and then a medium roast and a light roast. They want to try all sorts of different um, blends to taste different products. So it's been really difficult for us to um, really retain someone with a singular product. So we've been focusing on expanding our blends and roast profiles to try and keep that consumer. Um, but that actually has been one of a, a more challenging thing for us, honestly. Yes, is getting that community. Well, what I love about the, the new movement, you know, with the busy nation is the fact that you're taking it and saying, you should become the critic, right? Like to your customer, like become the mm -hmm. critic. And what's so cool about that, I mean, you think about the Mountain Dew story, right? You know, how Mountain Dew's become so famous was, it, it was a new drink. It was basically a knockoff of Sprite from the same company, you know, they, they took that, that flavor, but then what they did is they started launching these, these different flavors and getting feedback on them. But instead of saying, okay, the most liked ones, they actually didn't launch them all year round. They become these like once a year thing where you can only buy it mm -hmm. and their sales just shot up because they focused heavily on what do people want most? Let's give it some little urgency scarcity to buy it. And it, it took off. So yeah, yeah just like the old uh, McDonald's McRib sandwich, kind yeah. of the same limited edition, get, get it at scarce sort of a deal. And, and it's funny you bring that up. Cause that's like the thing right now, like when this is being recorded, it's come back in, they're marketing it like crazy with the McRib. And every time it comes back, people are like, I love that sandwich. I have never had a McRib. I'll be completely honest, you know, yep. confessions here. I'm not a big McDonald's fan, but, but uh, the McRib's like this big, ridiculous thing. So for you guys, um, have you been able to leverage that type of marketing for your own company as well? Or do you find that it's better to be more consistent with your customers? You know, we've been so heavily focused on Amazon and just trying to capture as much market share as we can um, that we hadn't historically done that. But we have a retail product line, these kind of big bottles for people that don't want to make it themselves. And this year in 2021, we are launching seasonal SKUs is what the industry would call it in grocery. So they're in and outs. So it's that exact same concept 
um, seasonal limited edition, but that's going to be through retail with a different product format than online. Um, as we get our website really humming, that's been a big focus for us is learning that in kind of Q4 last year and this year, um, building that community on our site. Those are definitely major um, strategic focuses for us, but we haven't really done them historically. That's awesome. Now, I, it's it's cool to see you guys like making those those different strategic moves. One of the things that I don't know whether you're intentionally doing this or not, but that I've been seeing in your story as you're going along is instead of like trying to create a market, you guys are literally just going where the market is and then presenting your product to them, right? You're saying, I mean, you're already buying coffee. You're already interested in this. You're already a trucker, right? <laughs> like here, here's these different opportunities for you. So, I mean, what has been for you guys, like the easiest way to actually tap in and find those new markets? Yeah, I mean, I'm so just some context. I was an analyst. That was really my kind of at, at heart. I analyze categories and information to try and make decisions. We're very data driven here, especially after the failed coffee shot where we tried to innovate. We learned that innovation and new products are just so difficult and it requires so much money to educate someone where I think that it's actually quite easy to steal share, especially in a niche market with an authentic product and founder story. And so what we do is honestly, I just look at, I just pull reports and it's very expensive to get data for retail, but on Amazon, you can spend 20, 30 bucks and get unlimited access to pull any type of category. Say you want to look at flowers or bar carts, you can pull that report and see exactly how big the opportunity is. And then because we've been in the market for so long, we have a, a next level. We'll say, okay, this market opportunity is great. And then we look for categories that are sub-optimized. And what we mean by that is the packaging format, the size, the weight, or the price aren't ideal. Because in low-priced items on Amazon, there can be a 20% margin swing if you have an an 11 and a half ounce bag of coffee versus a 12 ounce bag of coffee. So we'll just look, so we basically look at how big is a category and then we'll look at what the top selling items are to see if we can find some additional margin where we can either be lower priced or at the same price, but make more money. And then we'll use that additional margin savings to promote the product. Because again, I look at everything as an opportunity cost, especially in marketing. We can either pay to educate to, on what the innovation is, which is expensive, which doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to buy, or I can do a price promotion to lower my price or and or do a paid ad to get that person onto my site. And I'm more likely to acquire that customer. And I already know that there's demand for it and I already know they're spending money. So that's just kind of how we think about it. And a lot of it's because we didn't do that in the past, but at least have the the thought process to analyze why it wasn't successful. Now we kind of use that framework as we move forward into new products. Yeah. And that's, I think that's really the only way you can do it. I mean, and I hope those of you who are listening to this will look at the way they've, they've done that to enter new markets, because especially if you're going to scale a company, I mean, if you're, you know, not analyzing the actual data, you're just for lack of a better word, like crapshooting, right? You're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. What you're saying is there's a strategic position here. We know our margins. We know what's going to happen. We even know basically how much we're going to sell in it. And, you know, and then you, you introduce it to the market. It becomes way more strategic instead of just 
praying, you know, hope is not a marketing strategy. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. And, and one of my favorite ways, I mean, I was, I was on a call with our uh, head of sales right before this and we were looking at, okay, do we want to launch a French roast or an Italian roast? Well, I don't have access to the retail data to give me that, but you can very easily just do a gut check. So I went to Google trends and typed in those two keywords and it's like, okay, which one's getting more search volume and I, as a gut reaction, know that if someone's searching for this and the search volume is growing, that's going to give me the gut instinct to say, let's go this direction versus this direction. And it may not be totally quantifiable. I can't say for certain 90 million people are searching, but I know that it's more than French roast and it's growing at a higher rate. So I, I try and use all these different tools, especially when I'm thinking of new ideas. I'll start with Google Trends. Google keyword tool to see what sort of search volume and is it growing? And then I'll take that initial like gut reaction and then try and get to the next level and start looking at categorical data to say how big's the opportunity. And then if it's good, then go further and start saying, okay, where is their margin or how can we optimize a certain product? Yeah, I love that. Well, let me ask you this. We want to, let's, let's change directions here a little bit um, because I hope people will take that analytic, you know, really, he just gave you the steps to, <laughs> to, to market research. So, so look at that and apply that. But I want to ask you this, you know, starting a company in the e-commerce space is really one of the aspirations of a lot of the people who listen to the show, right? They've built a personal brand and they're saying, okay, I, I want to build an e-commerce brand now um, as well what are some of the major pitfalls that you could help them avoid? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we got, we, our business is successful because of Amazon and because of people searching for things. So I think the biggest risk that people don't understand is, and I don't have a personal brand, so this may be slightly different for me, but getting people onto a site and to get that traffic to sell a product is actually very difficult and it's very expensive to not just get them onto the site, but then you got to like convert them and push them down the funnel to acquire. So I've always tried to use the credibility um, as, a, as a secondary piece, but the search side of it and so like we're looking at entering into some, to some new categories and and let's say i have no experience in it well what i'm going to do is i'm going to go focus on the category that's got search because i believe amazon is just like the best because people are there to purchase a product and then i use the credibility credibility on the page to say okay you're already looking for this product i may only have five reviews or zero or 25 or whatever but here's my personal story with a ton of credibility and if you have a strong personal brand, I would even like make the second or third photo on the product be like, here's who, my, here's who I am. I got, look at my Instagram handle. Here's how many followers I have. Because as consumers, even if you only have one or two reviews, but if you put your personal brand out there and you have credibility, we're as consumers going to say, wow, even though this person may not have a lot of reviews, I know that like this person isn't going to put themselves out there so publicly if they didn't believe the product was awesome. And so I think just the pitfall of getting people onto the site, converting them is so much more expensive and difficult than people really think because they may go to your site to learn about you, but they might not be interested in buying the product at all, where you can get people that are interested in buying the product and then use your credibility to get them to buy. See, and I didn't even consider that. I mean, leveraging that personal brand could be one of the fastest ways to 
to get that because I, I mean, I even know with a lot of local businesses, their, their number one problem is like, oh, I'm, I'm another real estate agent. I'm another one of these, right? And you're, you're just putting yourself as another number. But if you can say, you know, hey, like as a real estate agent, for example, just to, to carry on with that example, it's like, you know, I, I was in the financial realm. I've, I owned this much in real estate. I know what houses are the best, right? Are the best mm -hmm. investment properties. I'm an investment property real estate agent who does X, Y, Z. And it, it just, I mean, that credibility aspect, even in the e-commerce space never even occurred to me. So for you guys, um, how have you been able to leverage that credit? Cause like you said, you, you haven't built a personal brand or anything, but have you been able to leverage that to grow um, the reviews as well? I mean, getting reviews is 90% of the problem with products. How are you getting those reviews? Yeah. So we, you know, it, as you see behind me, a thousand reviews, that was March of this year. I had mentioned we launched in 2018, basically March. So it took us two years to get to a thousand reviews. And then it took us six months to go from a thousand to 5,000. So the, the flywheel effect is very real. And so what we do is when, when you start, you got to get the ball rolling and you got to do it, unfortunately, inorganically, right? They say, don't do it, but everyone does it. Get your friends and family to buy the product. As many people use your personal equity, get as many people as you possibly can to buy the product, take pictures with it, leave a five-star review. You just have to do that. Um, cause as consumers, you know, I always try to put my consumer hat on if you're selling a product and it doesn't have at least 25 reviews, we're just not going to buy it. Like as consumers, we're just like, no chance. I'm not going to take a risk on this. No, nobody product. So that's how you got to get started. And then we have a formal email review series where you get the product, we ship it to you. And then we have this kind of beautiful email that talks about who we are. And it's like, Hey, if you love the product, please leave a five-star review link. If you don't like the product, get in touch with us, please. We want to make it right. And that's basically our strategy. And so we just do that with every single order that comes through and we hit them with multiple emails to get that review. See, I love that because I mean, like you talked about that, that's like you said, inorganic strategy. People, people discount that in a lot of ways. You know, people tell you not like the sites, the platforms tell you not to do that, but it also is, is a research period for you you get real honest feedback from people say, Hey, if you could leave me a review, but then also tell me what things would you want changed? You know, is the packaging bad? Is the, does it taste awful that, you know, like there's all these different things that you could ask them five questions and you could resolve like 90% of your problems with your product. Yeah. You know, I know where to target. And if you have a personal brand, I mean, like you've been talking about, you could literally go to your audience and say, Hey, I'm launching this new product. It's a physical product never really done it before. And for all of you, I'll give it to you, you know, at a discounted price or something, um, put you in a sweepstakes and, you know, if you'll leave me a review and give away some free money or something, right. I don't know if that's even illegal or not, but, but uh, getting people excited about using the product up front, and then you've already got your core base of people that you can leverage their feedback. Yep. So, yeah, it's good stuff, man. I, I appreciate you sharing that. So, you know, we're coming up to the end of the interview here, um, Alex. So I, I want to ask you this, what, uh, first off, where can people get in communication with you guys, test your products out and everything? I mean, obviously Amazon seems to be the place, but where else can they get in communication with you? Yeah, definitely check us out at uh, busycoffee.com. That's B-I-Z-Z-Y. We'd love some feedback. Um, we just launched a new product. It's called the Pitcher Pack. It basically, it's like a giant tea bag. It's a cold brew bag. Um, we'd love any feedback on that. It's our new innovation, which we're pretty excited about. Um, so definitely check us out there. And of course, we're on all the social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Busy Coffee. 
Love that. So make sure you go check those guys out. We'll add all the links in the description as well. And to ask you one final question, Alex, um, if you could leave one final parting piece of guidance with our audience saying like, if they could just get one thing out of this interview, what would that be? I think it would be to leverage search. Um, you know, it totally changed our business and, you know, you can do market research, you can sell products. Um, it's just people are actively typing into Google and Amazon things that they want to buy, whether that's a, a guide on how to do something, it's a course, it's a product, it's a service, but people are actively searching for things that they want to spend money on. And if you're not there, you're, you're missing a sale. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Lucky Titan Podcast. If you want to fill your favorite platform with dream customers, then come join myself and thousands of others of hosts at theluckytitan.com slash tribe. Here you can find guests for your show, get featured on other shows, and discover the secrets to building an audience of raving fans. So once again, go create your free account at theluckytitan.com slash tribe.